Amen. What a powerful story of God's work in someone's life here at Christ Community. Um, very cool. So glad all of you are, are here. Uh, before we jump into the message, I wanted to give just a quick update on one of the aspects of our For the City and Beyond vision, which is part of this heartbeat to be four children in our community. And one of the ways that we as a church express that is through our relationship with Maplewood Elementary School. So we've adopted that school, uh, which means we're committed to helping them and do whatever they need. So we had a work day there in August and we put on an end of year celebration for the teachers and students and we gave them backpacks filled with school supplies, uh, all that. But the most significant ministry we have with them is called Kids Hope where we provide mentors for children who just need an adult friend. Um, there's a waiting list right now at Maplewood. There's a waiting list, children who are wanting mentors from Christ's community. And so I want to just encourage you to pray about, ask God if he would want you to be involved in Kids Hope. It's just one hour a week, one hour a week, and you can change the trajectory of a child's life and honestly your own life as well. So we need, we need more mentors. I'm just saying it. <clears throat> we need, we only had a couple side up last week. We just need more mentors. And so I encourage you pray about this, ask God what he would have you do. You can find out more information online or uh, um, uh, just talk to staff or whatever. Now, another cool part of the story that I wanted to mention is a few months ago then, I had this idea. Wouldn't it be cool if every school in this community had a church that had adopted it like we had done with Maplewood? And so Roseanne Holman, our Kids Hope director, and I began to just... Um, talk with, find out what churches already had kind of a partnership like that. And then we had conversations with some pastors in town that wanted to have a partnership like that, but they didn't know how to do it. So we went, we helped connect them with the school. And so I'm super excited to report that we now have 24 schools in our community that have a church that has adopted it, which is awesome. So we only have 11 more schools to go. So be praying for that. Our church, actually Christ Community, we've adopted three schools. So Maplewood Elementary, and then Jefferson Junior High um, across the street from 15th Street here, and then Central High School. We're working on getting that Central High School partnership up and running more fully. But I just wanted you to hear about the impact that we as a church are having on children and families in this community. So way to go. All right, we are in the midst of a series of messages um, entitled Wholeheartedness. And what we're talking about in this series is how we can live out of a whole heart. Often our hearts get shattered, they get broken, they get infected with things that keep us from the life God has for us. And so we're focusing in this series on how our hearts can be whole, how we can live out of this place of wholeheartedness. Now, we began this series a few weeks ago by looking at the example of Adam and Eve before they messed up in Genesis 3. And we saw this vision of wholeheartedness, this vision for how God intends us to live as human, with a value, humans, as with a valued identity and a genuine freedom and a meaningful purpose and healthy relationships. And we, we all long for a life like that. And it's what God longs for us as well. But there's a problem. There's a barrier that keeps us from living this wholehearted life. There is something that infects and shatters our hearts, and that something is shame. Shame. The first thing that happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned is that they experienced shame. They covered themselves. 
Whereas before there was no hiding from each other, no self-consciousness, but, but now they were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They hid from each other. They hid from God. That's what shame causes us to do. Shame is this intensely painful feeling of believing <clears throat> that we are flawed and therefore we are unworthy of loving and belonging. Shame is that voice that whispers to our hearts, you're not enough. You don't have what it takes. You're a failure as a mom. You're a failure as a Christian. You're not acceptable. See, shame is different than guilt. Guilt is feeling bad for something we've done. You know, I failed. I shouldn't have done that. That's guilt. Shame is feeling bad for who we are. I am a failure. I am incompetent. I'm unworthy. I'm unacceptable. I don't have what it takes. There's something wrong with me. See, Adam and Eve were feeling much more than guilt. No, they were feeling shame. They were self-conscious. They were hiding from each other. And the reality is we've been hiding ever since. We've been hiding ever since. Shame is this universal human experience. And it is impacting our lives in very significant ways, but often we don't realize it. We don't see it. So for the past couple weeks, <clears throat> we've been looking at the example of someone in the Bible whose life was literally destroyed by shame. And that someone is King Saul <clears throat> in the Old Testament. Saul was a guy who had so much going for him in terms of strength and ability and God's call upon his life, but he was deeply insecure. He saw himself as little in his own eyes. That's the exact phrase from 1 Samuel 15. And his life got derailed by that. It got derailed by shame. And it will do the same thing in our lives. I mean, as we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks here, shame can cause us to struggle with perfectionism, with the need for approval of others, with a tendency to hide behind our successes. Shame causes us to focus on where, what we've, where we've failed rather than what we've nailed, right? Shame causes us to struggle with self-hatred, with anger and jealousy and addiction. Shame will destroy our relationships. The impact of shame is huge. Because shame resides in our hearts. That's what makes it so powerful and influential. It in impacts our hearts. It infects our hearts, which is the core of who we are. Our desires, our dreams, our, 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 our decisions, our emotions, all of those things flow out of our hearts. So if our heart is infected with shame, every area of our life will feel the impact of that. Now, I know if you've been with the, in this series, been along with the series, you know and I know these past two weeks have been kind of heavy as we've been looking closely at how shame impacts us. But here's the good news. God has a plan to deal with our shame. God has provided a way for us to walk in freedom from shame. And here's what is so cool. God started implementing this plan all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned and experienced shame for the first time. So feel free to turn to Genesis 3. Verse 21, I've already mentioned how shame impacted Adam and Eve immediately, impacted their relationship. They were hiding from each other, right? They were blaming each other. So into this shame-filled dynamic, God enters and he does something for Adam and Eve that is so significant. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
See, this is such a beautiful picture of God's heart. Adam and Eve had sinned against him, right? They're experiencing the consequences of that in terms of their shame. They're aware of their nakedness. They feel self-conscious. They're hiding from each other. So God chooses to make clothing for them to cover their nakedness. But there is something even more powerful happening here. What does God clothe them with? Garments of skin. They were using leaves, which didn't work very well, right? Gar so God, he has these garments of skin for them. So think about this. How did God obtain garments of skin? He had to sacrifice an animal. See, this is the first sacrifice we see in the Bible. God sacrificed an animal in order to bring Adam and Eve out of hiding, in order to cover their shame. Now, this, of course, was a very a temporary solution, but the significance is huge when we see this in light of the entire story of Scripture. See, what was happening, Genesis 3, verse 21, was a foreshadowing. It was a powerful picture of how God intended to more fully deal with our shame. And that, of course, would involve another sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus, God's perfect son, who after being beaten and mocked by soldiers as a common criminal, he hung naked on a cross. Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins, yes, but it was more than that. Jesus died as a way to cover our shame. He died as a way to cover our shame. This is the incredible news of the gospel, that even though we are flawed and deserving of judgment, even though we are guilty of sinning against God, God clothes us in his righteousness. In other words, when he looks at us, he doesn't see what's wrong with us. He doesn't see what's inadequate about us. He doesn't see our failures and our sins and our inadequacies. No, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So years ago, a few years ago, someone gave me a, a t-shirt um, uh, from the Ironman race in Hawaii. And I love this shirt. It's got this cool color because it's kind of from lava rock. It's kind of this gray color. It has uh, this cool Ironman logo. And so I remember I wore it on a trip one time. And I had a rental car company employee ask me when I had done the Ironman. And I told him, oh, the shirt actually was just a gift. You know, I didn't do the Ironman. He didn't believe me. He thought I was being humble. Um, and, and, so, and so after that experience, I began to enjoy wearing this shirt for another reason. See, I kind of liked feeling like a stud, you know? Um, so rather than feeling self-conscious about my skinny arms or whatever, I sort of wanted people to see that Iron Man logo and to wonder, did he do the Iron Man? Uh, honestly, wearing that shirt made me feel different. It made me feel better about how people might view me, which got me thinking, what would happen if I lived every day with a, an awareness that I am clothed in Christ? the true Iron Man. 
I mean, when God, what if I lived every day with his knowledge that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my failures. He doesn't see my inadequacy and my fears. He sees Jesus. That is our true identity. Our shame does not define us. Our ability to keep it all together, our failures, our successes, these things do not define us. What defines us is who Jesus is and what he has done. Not what we have done, what he has done. He took our shame on the cross so that we could be clothed in his perfection, in his acceptance. I mean, that is the scandalous, reckless wonder of the gospel. The gospel is God's plan to deal with our shame. It is his plan to deal with our shame. It is the antidote to our shame. It is the pathway out of shame. Now, by the way, I know I've quote, I'm a fan of Brene Brown. I've quoted her in the last couple messages. She's really an expert on shame and her books are great. She's fun to listen to. She's very vulnerable and, and honest and all that. But I, I've got to say this. It is at this point that I think her material falls short it is, it's great material, but it, she never gets to Jesus. She never gets to Jesus, who is the ultimate answer to our shame. The entire story of the Bible is about a God who has put a plan in place to rescue us and to free us from our shame. The entire Bible, <laughs> that's what it's about. Okay, so, so what does this mean, practically speaking? I want to get really practical this week, next week. We're going to get really practical here. So how does the gospel help you and me in our everyday struggle with feelings of shame? Well, we see an amazing answer to this question in Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter 5. So feel free to turn there if you've got your Bible, Bible app or whatever, feel free to turn there. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul begins that chapter by presenting this wonderful summary of this gospel. How when we place our faith in Jesus, we are immediately given a right standing before God. We have peace with him, not because of our performance or our ability or our attractiveness or our GPA or our successes or our failures, but only because of our faith in Christ's work. It is totally about his grace, his undeserved favor. So at the end of this amazing summary, Paul says something in verse five that is so powerful. And in fact, I want you to read this out loud with me. Romans five, verse five, read this out loud with me. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Paul specifically mentions shame in this verse as an enemy of the gospel's work in our lives. God does not want us living in shame. So what is his antidote to shame? Love. Love. Paul says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now let's unpack this verse because there is a ton of great stuff here. First, this verse declares that if you have placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you permanently. He will never, ever leave you. 
And Paul tells us that the spirit who is living in you has a specific job description to help you experience healing from your shame. What is that job description? To pour out God's love into our hearts. That's what the spirit in you and me, that's what the spirit is doing. We talk about the spirit of God doing all sorts of cool things in us, right? The fruit of the spirit and the giftings of the spirit and the conviction of the spirit and the prompting of the spirit, all amazing stuff. But did you realize that one of the Holy Spirit's primary jobs is to help you and me experience God's love? See, the language Paul uses here is so incredible. He talks about the spirit pouring out the father's love. This phrase pouring out is not talking about a little trickle. It's not. This, this, this phrase here is referring to like Niagara Falls. This is God's love being lavished upon us in an overwhelming and powerful way. And the other thing to notice is where this love is poured out. Paul says it is poured out into our hearts. As I said earlier, the heart is at the core of who we are as human beings. The heart is that place in us that houses our passions and our longings and our emotions and our will. See, this is not just talking about knowing in our head that God loves us. You know, knowing Bible verses about God's love and being able to quote Bible verses about God's love. It's not talking about just knowing in our head that God's, God loves us. This is talking about us actually experiencing God's love in the depth of our being, at the core of who we are. Experiencing his love at the core of who we are. Now, why is this significant? Well, think about where shame operates. Shame operates in our hearts. It operates in the deepest part of our being. We don't wear shame on our sleeves. It is a hidden part of us. It's that inner critic, that whisper, that thought, that feeling that continually says, you're ugly, you're a failure. You aren't enough. See, shame gets planted in our hearts like a virus. And it just stays with us under the surface, but it just stays with us. It just keeps bringing up past failures and things people have spoken to us or done to us. Now, often, just in hearing people's stories, my own story, often these messages of shame, they get planted in our hearts during our formative years. You know, when our hearts were open and childlike and vulnerable, and then someone comes along who makes fun of us for how we walk or how we dress or how we talk or how we look or some aspect of our anatomy or whatever. And we try to brush it off, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a crock of whatever that is. I mean, you know, we know that's not true. Words hurt deeply. We may feel the sting of those words for decades. A parent who was always critical of us. A teacher who told us we would never amount to anything. But it is, it's more than words. It doesn't have to be words. Shame can result from a dad who left our family or who withdrew emotionally, working all the time. Or from a spouse who rejected us. 
Or maybe it was a forced sexual encounter with a sibling or a person of trust. I mean, the possibilities for shame being lodged in our hearts, the possibilities are legion. In John Eldridge's book, Fathered by God, he tells about a friend of his who grew up um, in a home where immediately after dinner, his dad, this friend's dad, would go into his study, close the door, and work until late. And this little boy would go sit outside the door of his dad's office, and he would write little notes to his dad, and he would slide them under the door. And his dad never responded to any of his notes. He just ignored them. See, a little boy's heart doesn't walk away from these kinds of experiences unscathed. Our hearts get wounded. Messages of shame creep in. I'm unacceptable. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worth anyone's time. See, these messages creep into our hearts, but we're not even aware of it. We're not even aware of it. We just grow up, and over time as we grow up, they just become a part of us. They just become a part of us. It's like a virus that you don't know you have, right? It just becomes aware of us. They just become a part of our lives. And the tragedy is they are impacting our lives in so many ways. The only antidote is to experience Jesus' love in these places of pain. It's the only antidote. It's not stuffing it and ignoring it. No, it's experience Jesus' love in these places of pain. It's to experience the Spirit pouring out the Father's love into our hearts in these places where shame has taken root. Okay, so one of my favorite movies is the, uh, the movie The Kid um, with Bruce, Bruce Willis. It's, it's a Disney flick. It's a comedy, but it also is this powerful picture of how our lives get shaped by shame in our past. So Willis, Bruce Willis, plays this guy named Russ, who is very confident, independent, you know, successful, kind of rude, image consultant, who has no close relationships, right? He's busy pursuing his career. And he's nearing his 40th birthday, and one day... One day, as he's nearing his 40th birthday, one day this, this overweight little kid named Rusty kind of shows up at his house. And Willis is pretty annoyed um, initially. And then over time, he realizes to his horror that this little eight-year-old kid is actually him. When he was eight years old, it's him. And he doesn't like what he sees, right? This chubby, annoying little kid. And the little kid, Rusty, doesn't like what he sees, right? Uh, how his older self isn't married, doesn't have a dog, you know, all these things that little Rusty had hoped for one day. So finally, at a critical point in the movie, older Russ realizes that perhaps little Russ, little Rusty is there to help him remember something in his past that he had completely distanced himself from. So at one point in the movie, on his 8th and 40th birthday, Russ and Rusty go back to this, this experience, this painful experience where Rusty got in trouble at school. And his mom, who was dying of cancer, was home kind of battling this cancer, she had to get in the car and she had to drive to school to get him. So when they got home, Rusty's dad drove up in a rage. So little Russ 
thinks that his dad is mad about a screw that he had lost earlier that day, which he had just found. That's what he thinks he's mad about, but he's actually not. So let's watch this, this clip from the kid. So what messages did little Russ's heart hear in that moment? It's your fault. Your mom is dying. It's not okay to cry. It's not okay to feel. You're on your own. So he stuffed his shame. He stuffed his pain. And those messages of shame just got buried deep within. And so suddenly in the movie, it becomes clear. This is why... The adult Russ is the way he is. Driven, stoic, don't show any emotion, don't pursue your dreams, don't get close to anyone. He is living out of this place of shame in his past and he doesn't realize it until that moment when he sees his eight-year-old self experience that and suddenly his heart connects to his pain. He actually starts to cry for the first time since his eighth birthday. And in that shameful memory, in that painful place, as his eight-year-old self, he experiences something new. 
he experiences acceptance and love. He and his older self, they hold each other, right? They cry together and they both realize his mom's death was not his fault. And suddenly, older Russ is free to no longer live out of that place of shame. See, that, that scene is such a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our hearts. He doesn't bring lectures into our shame. He doesn't bring pep talks to try harder and to do better. No, he brings love. He brings love. He pours out the Father's love into these places of shame. So where are those places for you and for me? Where are those places where shame has gotten lodged into your heart? Perhaps from emotional pain or neglect in, in our growing up years or maybe from the betrayal of a divorce or the shame we feel from being the victim of sexual abuse or the shame we feel from things we've done in our past, things we wish could be undone, things we wish we hadn't done that we could take back, things that we don't want anyone to know about. Where has shame taken up residence in your heart? See, I'm guessing for most of us, we have worked really hard to not go there. We've worked just like Bruce Willis. We've worked really hard to not go there. Stuff the pain, ignore the shame, buck up, be strong. But as much as we try to ignore it and stuff it, it continues to impact us. As we've been talking about for a couple weeks, it will continue to impact us. However, again, there is good news. In those places of shame, the Holy Spirit wants to come and pour out the Niagara Falls of the Father's love into our hearts. A love that washes us and clothes us and cleanses us and frees us. I mean, Jesus is willing to be right there in the midst of our shame, pouring into our hearts his love for us. As I said last week, Jesus is not ashamed of your shame. He wants to meet you in it and bring his amazing, reckless, supernatural love into that place. But here's the deal. This is really important. In a very real sense, you and I hold the key the Holy Spirit will not force his way into these places in our lives. He won't. We have to choose to allow him in. We have to choose to stop running from our shame, to stop stuffing the pain in our past, and instead to actually go there with Jesus, to allow him into these painful memories, into these places of shame, and let him love us there. So could I be real, real honest here? Had I heard this message 35 years ago, I would have dismissed it. I would have dismissed it and thought, I don't know, this touchy-feely stuff, what is this? But as I stand here today, I am so thankful that somewhere along the way I started, well, it's because my life was kind of a mess in many ways, I started to look at my heart and my shame 
And I began to let Jesus love me there. See, that decision has been life-changing. Seriously, life-changing. My joy, my relationships, my vocation, everything has been impacted in a good way. In fact, I used to have a paradigm for spiritual growth that probably many of us have. Pretty typical. Here's my paradigm. Read your Bible, pray, get in community, and you will grow spiritually. That was sort of my paradigm, right? I now have a totally different paradigm. I mean, those things are good, but I want to just present here another paradigm that I now have. When, when a, here, here's my paradigm. When a person becomes a Christian, it's like they step into the waterfall of God's love. But initially when we do that, we're carrying an umbrella. We hear about God's love. We can kind of reach out and touch it every once in a while. And we know it's there, it's all around us, but it still feels a bit distant. But God's spirit is still working, right? So eventually we choose to put the umbrella away. And now we're wearing a rain jacket and a hat and waterproof boots. And the water, it's closer. It feels good as it pours over us. But over time, we realize we long for something more. So we start removing the water-resistant garments, the layers, and we stand naked before God. Naked and unashamed. No hiding our past failures, no hiding behind our successes or our abilities. It's just us and him and his love washes over us just as we are. No comparison, no jealousy, no self-hatred, no withdrawing from relationships. It's just you and God and all that you can experience is love. See, the gospel, you may think, oh, that's kind of a crazy paradigm. No, no, the, the gospel actually takes us back to the beginning of the story as humans. God's love poured out into our hearts through the spirit so that we are naked and unashamed. We are his beloved sons and daughters. And so this new paradigm for spiritual growth is not about us trying to make ourselves more spiritually healthy. No, no, no. It's all about allowing ourselves to be loved in those places where we've learned to hide. And that love transforms us. It changes us like no other force on the planet. It changes us. It's love. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, man, this is just this is some heavy, there's some heavy stuff here, but it's good that what you're stirring, because we're looking at things that you want us to look at. And so we welcome you to come and do what you do. Pour out the Father's love into our hearts right now. Just pour it out. In abundance, Niagara Falls is what we want. And God, would you help us? We want to put away our umbrella. We want to kind of take away the rainproof jackets we wear. And we just want to be 
totally ourselves in your love. So here's what we want to do in this time. You can just continue to keep your eyes closed if you want, just an attitude of prayer. But we wanted to create, as we were praying about this service and how to respond, all that, we, we want to create just a couple minutes here of space for you and I, for all of us to experience Jesus in those places of shame. So maybe a memory came to your mind or maybe something that happened recently, something a long time ago, or just a pervasive whatever in a particular context. And, and I, we just believe Jesus wants to come into that place and meet you there. And so we're not running from our shame. We're kind of just owning it a little bit here and saying, Jesus, would you come? I'm tired of running from this and I haven't thought about it in years or whatever, but I, I just invite you to come into this place of shame and love me there. And so I pray that, Lord, for all of us in these moments, these couple minutes here, just to experience your love in these places of shame. So come, Holy Spirit.